long prayer. I, maybe I forgot where I was at. Okay. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 2. Verse 11 to the end of the chapter. The context is that Nehemiah has been praying for an opportunity to speak with King Artaxerxes to get back to his beloved city where the walls are destroyed, the gates of the city are burned, the temple is just a mere shadow of what the temple was that Solomon had built. The city has been in rubble for over 100 years. There's been two groups of people that have come back to restore, and yet the city still lies desolate. And as the cupbearer, he stands before the king, and the king noticed his countenance was, was sad. He said, you're not sick, Nehemiah. This is nothing but a broken heart. What's wrong? And at that instant, Nehemiah prayed for wisdom, and he gave him an answer. And the king has allowed Nehemiah to go back 700 miles from the capital of Susa all the way back to Jerusalem. He's giving him letters to every governor that he passes through their territory to leave these people alone. He's given them a king's escort. He's given them letters to harvest land and to harvest the timber from the national forest. And we're picking up there and Nehemiah now returns from that long journey. And when he gets to Jerusalem, I came and I was there three days. That's all that verse says. Then I arose in the night and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one in which I rode. I went out by night through the valley gate, to the serpent well, and the refuge gate. And I viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went out to the fountain gate, to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night... By the valley, I viewed the walls. Then I turned back and I entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste, its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he spoke to me. So as a result, they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set, or they literally strengthened or caused to be strong, their hands to this good, and notice the word work, if you've got a literal Bible, it's in italicis, because the adjective means noble, virtuous, 
something that has eternal value. Let us set our hands to this good. And then the translators supply the word work for us. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah, interesting, the Hebrew word for good is tov. Or tob, it's a base, but it's, it's a soft pronunciation, the word tov, but the word tobiah literally means Yahweh is good. And here's a turn of events, a twist that, that, that only the writer of, the, uh, of Nehemiah could see this. And I'm trying to bring it out for us that Tobiah, the Ammonite, the official, and Gershom, the Arab, heard of it. They laughed us and they despised us. And they said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? The irony of that statement. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself. The word himself is completely unnecessary for this sentence to make sense. It's an emphatic insertion of the pronoun, the God of heaven will prosper. But Nehemiah is emphasizing, no, it's not just the God of heaven. He himself, the very God, whom we are his servants, we will prosper and we will arise and we will build, but you have no heritage, no right, no memorial in Jerusalem. Okay, you may be seated. Well, this morning, our topic is the qualities of spiritual leadership. And I see three qualities that Nehemiah exemplified here that every one of us can apply to our lives. A spiritual leader, first of all, is contemplative. He's thoughtful. She's not impulsive. A spiritual leader is someone who does not rush in to make rash choices and rash decisions. That's what a spiritual leader is. Not impulsive. I know when I make impulsive, rash decisions, 95% of the time I've made the wrong choice. A spiritual leader sits back, he evaluates, she thinks it through, or he thinks it through, and makes a decision that's based on all the information. Second, spiritual leaders are people that have the ability to persuade others to join in the vision. And they use God's blessing, God's purposes, as a means to persuade. Not their personality, not their charisma. That's not a spiritual leader. Thirdly, spiritual leaders handle opposition with simple, emphatic truth. They don't get embroiled into arguments, disputes... Pointless questioning. They go right to the issue of truth. So those are the three things that we're going to look at today. Every one of us who's born of the Spirit of God has the potential to be a spiritual leader. 
You may not think of yourself as that way, but every one of you, God has gifted you and enabled you to be a spiritual leader. In fact, every one of you are leading somebody within your sphere of influence. If you're a mom, if you're a grandmother, if you work somewhere, if you're a husband, if you're a father, you have a role as a spiritual leader that God wants you to fulfill. We all have that sphere of influence. We've all been called to be salt without exception. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, You are the salt of the earth. Nehemiah was certainly salt in this situation. Spiritual leadership begins way before it is ever publicly manifested. Jeremiah, I'm sorry, Nehemiah got there, and for three days, he doesn't talk to anybody, doesn't say anything, and he goes out on this ride before anybody knows what Nehemiah is all about. But we have to back it up for four months, four months prior. Where did this spiritual leader, how was he born? He was born out of deep concern. Spiritual leaders are people who will take the initiative to invest in other people's lives. When the group of Jews came back, he pointedly asked them, how is the city of Jerusalem and how are the captives that remain? And when he heard about the distress, he heard about the brokenness, he heard about the reproach, Nehemiah sat down, Nehemiah wept, Nehemiah fasted, And he prayed for many days. Spiritual leadership just doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens with information that you take to heart, that it moves you to have a vision to do something about. If you have no spiritual convictions, if you have no vision for what God can do, then you'll never be a spiritual leader. But if you have those things... You are already partly there. There will be no vision without a burden, and there will be no burden without a personal commitment. In the passage that we read this morning, we are told in Nehemiah 2.12 that God had put this into his heart. I told no one what my God had put into my heart. This was a deep conviction that Nehemiah needed to get back to the city. He needed to see it rebuilt and the reproach removed from his people's landmarks. Spiritual leadership and spiritual leaders are contemplative. They formulate a vision into a plan before making it known. And here's some strategy why he does this. A prudent person is not impulsive. A prudent person goes and evaluates. He takes in the information before he makes a decision. Blind courage is often unrealistic. Nehemiah didn't go in there with just blind courage. He waited for three days before he even went out on his nightly tour of the the walls. I'm sure he spent those three days in prayer meditation, resting, and thinking about, God, what is it that you really want me to do 
in this city. Impractical plans that lack biblical purpose will be short-lived. If it's not practical, and if it's not based on the Word of God, it will fizzle out. Gamaliel, the wisest Pharisee of the time of the Apostle Paul, in fact, Josephus, the historian, said that when Gamaliel died, the law died with him. And Gamaliel made this statement about arresting the apostles. He said, if this work is not of God, it will come to naught. Well, that was over 2,000 years ago, and God's work is still going forward. Things that are unbiblical will be short-lived. To underestimate opposition is to court failure. When you don't understand really the foe that you're going to have to face, you're setting yourself up to fall. Pride comes before destruction and haughty spirit before the fall. One of my favorite episodes to watch, Tracy loves it too. <laughs> she sits right beside me and says, oh man, this is so exciting. It's called Alone. These guys out in... <laughs> She's going, ah. She says, Patrick, go and watch it alone. <laughs> go somewhere. Go to the other side of the house. <laughs> but you watch that episode, and you can pick the guy who's going to tap first. <laughs> this guy was just bragging about how he just, he could conquer everything. And I... And, Within five days, and I'm laughing at him, but I probably would have tapped out two days earlier than this guy. He's laying there in his, in his little shelter, and he's screaming, Oh, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And boy, they, he gets on his walkie-talkie. He says, Get me out of here. But that was the guy who said, Man, I'm going the whole way. I, I've got this thing beat. And Nehemiah is not that naive. This city has been in ruins for 100 years. Zerubbabel made the first journey back in 538 B.C. We're talking 445 B.C. Over a hundred years later, the walls are still down, the gates are still burned with fire. Ezra had come back 12 years earlier to start the same project, and it was thwarted by Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arab Gershom. And so to underestimate... Opposition is to court failure. So spiritual leaders are contemplative, and they are prudent. Secondly, the prudent don't speak their entire mind. There's a lot of wisdom in that. A fool speaks his entire mind. Nehemiah was smart enough to know that if he tells everybody why he's there, it's going to build discouragement before it even gets started. We've been trying to do this time after time after time, and this is just another failure. Paul knew the wisdom of just sharing it with a few good men. We read this in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 2. When Paul went back to Jerusalem and he shared his gospel only with a few people, 
And he says the reason why, he says, I didn't want to labor in vain. So I just took a key group of people, the apostles, I told them the gospel because if I had their backing, I knew what I was going to do and this message of the gospel would be expedited. Nehemiah has the same wisdom here. He says, if I just let everybody know, there's going to be so much swirling and so much gossip and so much talk about it. So spiritual leaders are prudent in the fact that they don't speak their whole mind. The prudence of having a good understanding and assessing all the possible difficulties before you make it public. Nehemiah had the wisdom to know that if I don't think all this through, and we have this business meeting, and the hands start going up, and they say, Mr. Nehemiah, what are we going to do with all the rubble? Well, I haven't really thought about that. Well, who are we going to enlist to put all these walls together? Well, I haven't really thought that one through either. Well, what are we going to do about Sanballat and Tobiah? What are we going to do if a letter is sent to the king again, and they try to stop what we're doing? Uh, well, I don't really know. No, Nehemiah knew that if I can have all these things questioned all these questions iron out ahead of time, I'll be able to enlist their service. So it says that he went out and he examined the wall. Let me see if I can find that verse. It says it twice, that he went out and he examined. So I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent wall and the refuse gate. And my translation is the New King James says, And I viewed the wall. The Hebrew word for view here means to examine, but it's translated four out of five times with the word hope or to look expectantly. So he went out and he examined with the idea, I'm going to view the hope of what we can do with all this rubbish all this, this mess, all the burned walls, and, and how much timber am I going to need? How many trips to the forest? How many people is it going to take to bring the necessary material back and remove the fallen down bricks before we can get this? So he's going out and he's, he's assessing all of this. A wise and accurate knowledge stimulates confidence, courage, and enthusiasm. You want to be a good spiritual leader? Have all those details ironed out. When are you going to meet? This is the night we're going to meet. Where are you going to meet? This is the place we're going to meet. What are we going to study? This is what we're going to study, and this is what you're going to have to be required of you. And people will come along and get involved, but if you're vague and general and you have no clue really what you're doing, who's going to want to follow you? Think about it as a father, as a husband. Do you have a plan? Do you have a vision for your own spiritual home? Secondly, it enables you to articulate the magnitude of the challenge with thoughtfulness and to elicit people to commit to it. Jesus said this about a man who builds a tower. He sits down, first of all, and he calculates how much it's going to take to build that tower, lest halfway through it he decides, I don't have enough, and the job is not done. 
Now, he's talking about discipleship, obviously, in that passage. But it has an application here as well. To ensure that those who are encouraged, they must have the fortitude to finish the job. So spiritual leaders, first of all, first of all are contemplative. And that's why. They're not impulsive. They don't speak their whole mind. And they assess everything so that they can give accurate information back to those who are going to be enlisted to do the work. Secondly, spiritual leaders persuade others with what God is doing. Don't come and follow me, Nehemiah says. Nehemiah says, don't, don't trust in what I'm telling you. So let's go to verse 16. Verse 16, And when the officials did not know where I had gone, for what I had done, I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the other Jews who did the work. Then, then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste, its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Then I told them the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and also the king's words that he'd spoken to me. And well, what was the result of this? The result was they said, let us rise up and build. Then they strengthened. They determined the strong hands to join in in this noble, this eternal, this kingdom building of God's work. So spiritual leaders persuade to others to take part in this vision by appealing, first of all, not just to what God is doing, but appealing to the need. Look what he says in verse 17. He says, you see the distress. He gets them personally invested in the vision. This is all of us together, and you guys can see our distress. Now, what was the city of Jerusalem supposed to be like? What was God's intention for Mount Zion? That's the name of city, the city of Jerusalem. Psalm 48.2 says that Zion, or Jerusalem, was to be the joy of the whole earth. Look at our city. Look at the distress. Look what it's in. Look at the condition. And this city is meant to be the joy of the whole earth. Is Mount Zion on the sides of the north? The phrase north, the Hebrew word is zaphon. I'll, I'll tell you a little trick about memorizing stuff. Always associate it with something else. Now, I went to divinity school, and I left the Arctic Circle. This is before the days of cell phone, and you can get, you know, even computers. None of that stuff was out. You just have to send a pigeon up there. <laughs> but anyway... Long distance. Remember how expensive that was? Yeah. Well, my wife was always on the phone because <laughs> she was calling people up north. So that's how I remembered that word in, in my Hebrew vocabulary, zaphon. But it comes from a Canaanite origin. And zaphon, or the north heights, were where all the pagan Canaanite gods lived. And the Hebrew writer was saying, Jerusalem is the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. This is the residence of the only one true creator God. 
This is our city. This is who we are. We are God's elect. We are God's chosen nation. He chose us above all the people of the earth so that we might be a special treasure unto him, so that we might be a kingdom of priests declaring the praises of the one true God. And he says, I want you to look around and look what has happened to Zion. Look what has happened to the city of David, the city of the great king. So he's getting them, a spiritual leader gets them involved personally. Psalm 87, 1 through 2 says, His foundations in the holy mountain, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob and all the gates of Jerusalem are now burned with fire. Psalm 74 is a psalmist who wrote after the captivity. And it's a plea of God to remember the enemy and the reproach in destroying God's holy city and sanctuary. And so he says, you see. And then he invites them with him. Come, let us build. And then he gives them a sense of purpose. So this is what we used to be. I want us to build. Now I want to know why. Why should I get involved in this building project with you, Nehemiah? And a good leader gives them a sense of purpose that we may no longer be a reproach. He's reminding them of God's purposes for the nation of Israel. Genesis 12, 3, why did God choose Abraham? He chose them to be a blessing to all the nations on the earth. Remember who we are, he's saying, in essence. Their laws... Their laws were to show God's wisdom to all the other nations around them, Deuteronomy 4, 6. And God's reputation was at stake if they failed to live up to who they were. Deuteronomy 28, 37 says, And you shall become an astonishment, a reproach, a proverb, and a byword among all the nations where the Lord your God will drive you. It's time to get back on our feet and to be the people that God wants us to be. That's what spiritual leaders do. They instill that vision in people, and they say, this is what God has intended for us. And then he appeals to what God is already doing. He says, I told him God's good hand upon me in the words of the king. He, he must have went through that whole list. He says, when I got the news, I began to pray. And you know what I prayed? I prayed that God would give me favor in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. And you know what God did? God had that king ask me what was wrong. And when I told him, he said, Nehemiah, what do you need? And I told him what I needed, and he says, you go back. Then I told him I needed letters to when I get through that land so that, that no one would bother me. He says, not only will I give you letters, Nehemiah, I'm going to give you an army escort. And he said, if that wasn't enough, he says, I will give you a blank check, and you can take it to the forest, and you can cut down as much wood as you need. I'm sure after they heard that, they were so encouraged. If God is already doing that, it's time for us. Look at the, look at the, the effect, the effect of that appeal. So they said, let us rise up. Resolve. That's what it did for them. It gave them spiritual resolve. Let us do something. Let us rise up. Then it gave them practical application. Let us rise up and build. And then it gave them courage. 
and they set their hands. They strengthen their hands. Now, I, I looked this word up in a, a lexicon, and I just want to, the word set or strengthened, it means to make strong, to restore to strength, to give strength, to strengthen, to sustain, to encourage, to make strong, to make bold, to encourage, to make firm, to make rigid, to make hard, to set one's purpose with vigor. That's what happened to these people. And then they recognized that their work was involving in kingdom eternal work. They said, let us set our hands to this good, this noble, this eternal, this lasting, meaningful work. Everybody likes to know that what they're doing is going to have purpose and meaning beyond just their years. Lastly, he handles opposition with simple truth. Verses 19 through 20. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, the official Gershom, the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and they despised us and said, what is this thing that you're going to do? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them. I said, God of heaven himself, he will prosper. Therefore, we, his servants, will rise and build. But you, the three things that he says about them, you have no heritage nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. The gravity of the opposers. Spiritual leadership. First of all, Nehemiah doesn't get embroiled in an argument with these guys. That's such, such a wise thing to do, isn't it? You don't get into an argument over words that don't matter, disputes that are pointless. He says to them, in effect, I'm not even going to talk about that thing. False accusations and lies, they don't even deserve the time of day. And the irony of what they're saying, he doesn't even address that. He says, will you rebel against the king? And he lets the enemy just wallow in their own ignorance. He says, if you only really knew why I'm here, it's because the king sent me here. Because the king gave me letters to pass through the land. Because the king sent an, an army to escort me here. And the king has, he says, I'm not even going to bother with you guys. But I'm going to tell you what we are about. I'm going to give you the truth. Let God defend you. That's what a spiritual leader does. He says, I'm going to let God worry about those things. The God of heaven himself will prosper us. And we are his servants, and we will do exactly what God commissioned us. And the gravity of the enemy's fate. The enemy, what does he say about them? He says, I'm going to let God deal with you because you have no portion. The word portion means a divine decree to inherit. He says, this is our land. God has given it to us by a covenant to Abraham. Abraham was said to look as far as you can see. This belongs to us. And you have no inheritance with us. This is our land. Second thing he says, you have no right. Sadiq, the word means a claim. You have no right or you have no realistic purpose of this land because you have no relationship with God. Now that doesn't mean that the Gentiles had no ability to have a relationship with God, but they did have to enter into the covenant with God of Israel. 
And he says, you have never done that. We were sent here to be a light to you, and if you would simply convert to Judaism, yes, you would have this inheritance as well, because God says, I will bless those who bless you. And Abraham was to be a blessing to all the earth, but he says, but you've never into a covenant relationship. You have no right, no claim to this. You have no spiritual relationship with God. And thirdly, you have no memorial, and the idea of that is you have no eternal hope. This belongs to us, and we're going to do what God has called us to do. Spiritual leadership. So let's just kind of summarize it this morning. Because all of us want to be spiritual leaders. As a husband, I trust and I pray that that is your desire, to be a spiritual leader in your home. As a mom, your heart and your desire is to be a spiritual leader to your children. As a spouse, as a wife, you too want to be a spiritual leader to your husband. At work, we want to be spiritual leaders to our co-workers. Well, where does it begin? I want to be a spiritual leader to a neighbor of mine. Well, it's first of all, it's born out of a deep need and a sense of personal responsibility. Nehemiah took it upon himself to weep and to mourn and to fast and to pray and to ask God for the opportunity to speak to the king. Secondly, spiritual leadership formulates a vision based on the purposes of God. That's what a spiritual leader does. On the purposes of God. What is God's design for Jerusalem? What was God's design for this great city? It was to be the showplace to all the nations of the earth. You remember when the queen of the south traveled all the way just to hear the wisdom of Solomon. That's what Israel was all about. People to come and hear about the one true God. And you and I are to represent Jesus Christ, the one and true and living God. So we need to have a vision that's based on God's purposes. Thirdly, spiritual leadership. It provides a plan that's realistic. This was a realistic plan. In fact, later on, we're, going to told, we're told that it only took 52 days for Nehemiah to complete this work. So spiritual leaders are realistic. They meet genuine needs, and they are practically implemented. Spiritual re- re- leaders encourage others through example. Nehemiah left the palace He left a comfortable position. He traveled 700 miles, and he himself takes up residence in this fallen city. So to be a spiritual leader, we've got to be an example that inspires hope through the power and providence of God. When I told them of God's good hand upon me and the words of the king, they said, Come, let us rise up and build. Lastly, it is embroiled, it's, leaders don't embroil themselves in pointless opposition, but speak the truth. What areas of your life has God given you that he's called you to lead in? There's many areas at North Valley Bible Church. And we could recount to you what God is doing at this church. In the last two years, we had three people in our youth group. 
Look what God is doing now. We have 11 young people come together for our youth group. Three years ago, we had one child in children's church. Look what God is doing at North Valley Bible Church. Today, sometimes we can have as, as many as 20 back there in children's church. God is working. God is moving. Three years ago, we had no women's Bible study. Now we have the plans for two women's Bible study. Three years ago, we had no men's ministry, and today we're talking about starting one this fall. God gives, needs to give us a sense of vision, a sense of purpose, and we need to have a plan. How will you encourage others, then, to get involved? Be ready for discouragers and keep pressing on because the God of heaven himself, he's the one who prospers us. Let's close in prayer. Father, God, North Valley Bible Church is not near where it needs to be, but God, it's not what it used to be. Lord, I pray, Father, for our church, that God, that you would give us spiritual leaders, spiritual leaders that are prudent, spiritual leaders that are practical, that are thoughtful, and that plan. God, I pray that you'll raise up leaders that are encouragers, that they see the hand of God and what God is doing. Lord, you know exactly what we need. God, and you know the things that are in opposition. The logistics, the space, the time. God, we've got so many things that vie against what we're trying to do here for your kingdom, Lord. And help us, God, to remember that, God, that we have a portion. We have a lot. You have given us an inheritance. God, we have a relationship with you. And, God, we have a memorial. We have a hope. So, Father, today, God, I just pray that there's maybe a father here today who hasn't had a burden to lead his wife, a husband here today, that hasn't had a brokenness, has not had a sense of vision to be a spiritual leader at the home. God, I pray today that today might be a returning to you. God, I pray that it wouldn't be just a fly in the night, fly by night thing, God. I pray, God, that maybe some man will go home from church today and be contemplative, that he'll spend time in prayer, he'll spend time reading his Bible. I pray today, God, that a man today will come up with a practical plan to have devotions with his wife, with his children. God, I pray that, that, that men and women of this church today, God, that they'll get a burden for a next-door neighbor. God, I pray that they'll begin contemptibly, contemptibly thinking, God, how can I reach this person? God, give me a plan. Help me to enact this plan. Help it to be realistic, Lord. Help me to put my hands to that great work and reach out to people. God, I pray that, 
that the evangelism, God, as a church, God, that, that it will grow. Father, I, I pray, God, that, that as we've done these evangelism classes, God, it won't just end in an intellectual class. God, that, that, that we'll begin to, to think corporately of what we can do as a church to reach into this community, Lord. God, give us a sense of vision. Give us a calling. Give us a purpose here, God. Not just to preach to ourselves. God, we pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name.